26 words in Hebrew. And in those 26 Hebrew words, we see God testing the faith of what the scriptures call one of the heroes of the faith. This story gives us another one of the names of God. And this is a series we started a couple of weeks ago called What's in a Name? And it's based out of Psalm chapter 9, verses 7 to 10. And in particular, verse 10. Let me read that verse to you again. Listen to it carefully. It says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. The names of God, and there's approximately 900 of them in Scripture, are descriptive of God's character and his attributes. There's no accident with these names. They're not arbitrary in any way. They're they're there very much on purpose to allow us to rest in them to be changed by them, to be provided for by them. And so the first week, we looked at Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we said, God is with us every day, everywhere, all the time. Last week, Daryl talked to us about Jesus the Word. And he said, Jesus is the messenger who has the message, who is the message. And so if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 22. We'll begin reading in verse 1 through 8, and we'll keep moving through this chapter as we look at another name of God. Genesis chapter 22, well-known story, one of the most dramatic stories in all of Scripture. Beginning in verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then very significantly, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his dad, Abraham, father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And then some very profound words from Abraham. He said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Two sentences, 26 words in the Hebrew, where God tests the faith of one of the heroes of the faith. And I want you to try and imagine with me trying to face this kind of challenge from God. 
And Abraham, we're going to find, does exactly as God says. He gets up early, it says in those opening verses. I would imagine after having not slept a wink all night. He gets up early, he gets two of his servants, he chops the wood, he gets the knife, he gets his son out of bed, and they set out for the place where God directs them to go. And he leaves Beersheba, and he heads north about 110 kilometers. It's a three-day walk. And about in the middle of the third day, he sees Mount Moriah, in the distance, he tells his servants to wait and that he and his son, Isaac, climb to the top where God shows them to carry out God's order, to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering, not only to kill him with the knife, but to burn his body on the altar as an act of worship. And this is what it's describing in this passage. This will be an act of worship obeying God's command. And I want you to try and imagine with me actually having to do this. Isaac has no idea in verse 7 what's going on. And he says, but dad, we have the wood and we have the fire and we have the knife, but we have no lamb. And then Abraham says an amazing thing in verse 8. As a dad obeying God, as a dad who's about to sacrifice his son, who he knows is a gift from God, as a dad who longed to have a son but couldn't for many years, as a dad who becomes a first-time father late in life, as a dad whose greatest joy is the son, who is the fulfillment of his lifelong desire, as that dad, he responds to Isaac with these incredible words. He says, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And again, I ask you to try and imagine taking that three-day walk, that 110-kilometer walk. Now, here's what I know about this story before we unveil God's name. Learning trust is part of God's agenda for each one of us. Learning trust is part of God's agenda for each one of us. And all of this story takes place in the context of testing. And there are times in life where God will test you. He will never tempt you. It says this in James chapter one, that God will never tempt you to sin, but he will test us. Sometimes I come across people that suggest to me that somehow God has tempted them to do what they've done, the wrong sinful choice they make. And of course, they are doing this to blame God for their choices. God will never tempt us to sin. Scripture is very clear, but he will test us. And so he takes what is most precious to Abraham and he uses it to test him. And it is part of God's growth agenda for this hero of the faith. And I ask this question, what is God's growth agenda for you? During COVID, during drought, during a time when the economy has been contracted significantly and the oil industry is just starting to wake up again. What is God's growth agenda for you? 
So just try to picture Abraham with me as this story begins. He has everything that anyone can want. We know from other stories about his life that he's a very wealthy individual. He's got a large entourage of people. And into his arms each day runs his son, his miracle son. And I mean this as a a real miracle, not what we like to pretend is a miracle in our culture. A supernatural miracle from God. He has this son. And this son is the means by whereby Abraham will be the father of a great nation that God has promised to him on covenant in an earlier chapter in chapter 12 and then reiterates it in chapter 15. And now in 26 Hebrew words, God says, I'm going to take it all away. And you're going to put him to death and burn him on the altar like the pagans do. And so the question I'm imagining every one of us is asking is, why would a good and loving God ask an obedient and faithful follower to do something like that? Something he'd never done. Well, we find it in the first words of the chapter in verse 1, where we see the Hebrew word nasa, nasa, sorry, nasa. And it carries with it the idea in Hebrew of proving the quality of something. Of putting someone through a trial that will prove his genuineness. So Satan will tempt us because his desire is to see us fail. See our faith damaged. To see our relationship with God hindered. This is his agenda. God's agenda is always to prove the authenticity. And so his test has this idea with it, the genuineness of it. He is seeking to prove the validity of the faith of Abraham. And so remind, be reminded that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He doesn't have to look in hindsight at something like this, like we do as this, read this story from 4,000 years ago. God knows all things. He knows Abraham's heart. And he is not just trying to satisfy his curiosity here. This is not some kind of weird experiment by God. It's just another in a series of tests, if you read the life of Abraham, a series of tests as part of the growth agenda for Abraham, which results later in him being called one of the heroes of the faith. And this is... This is a time where Abraham is going to come to grips with the idea, do I love the gift that God has given me or do I love the giver of the gift? So I ask you that question. Who do you love? Who do you love? You know, the studies show us now, all the studies that are being conducted in the church in North America, that about 30% of the church of North America pre-COVID have walked away from church for a number of reasons, some of them very legitimate, but in some cases not so legitimate at all. And in numbers of those people as well, sad to say, have walked away from their relationship with God. Who do you love? As I said, this story takes place about 4,000 years ago. 
and what God wanted to do with and through and in Abraham is the exact same thing that he wants to do with and through and in you. And so the question could be asked, what if he's testing you right now? And if he is, he is not performing an experiment on you. He's not trying to satisfy his curiosity. He's seeking to prove your faithfulness and your trust in Christ. He's heightening your relationship with him and heightening the ability to have an authentic faith. Learning trust is part of God's agenda for you. And so maybe God is asking you this question. Scott, what, you know, do you love the gifts or gift that I've given you or do you love the giver of the gift? Well, Abraham passes the test as he says God will provide the sacrifice and spoiler alert, later in the story, he does provide the sacrifice. And so this is a story not only about the idea of trust, but it's also the story of God's provision, which we've been singing about all morning, if you've noticed in the songs. And there's three practices we're going to see in this story that we can take home. And the first one might be articulated like this. How you live and how God provides are directly linked to one another. How you live and how God provides are absolutely interconnected and directly linked to one another. And we begin reading about this in verse 9 and 10. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. As this story climaxes, and again, it's one of the, you know, we can look back in hindsight, but try to imagine being that maybe the knife was on the way down at this point in the story. Try to imagine the steps of obedience that have gone on here. God says, take your son and go do this. And, it, you know, the first words in verse 2 is he gets up early. He doesn't delay in obeying. He gets up early. He gets the boy, he gets a couple of servants, he chops the wood. He says to them, we're going to worship and then we'll return. He makes this long trek of 110 kilometers in extremely harsh conditions with very limited water. Dangerous trip to take. They climb where God shows them to go. He builds the altar. He ties Isaac up. He gets the knife ready. And I would argue that every one of these steps of obedience get increasingly costly as he's going. Imagine you're, for three days you're contemplating what you're going to do. And as he's about, and I might even suggest, as I said, maybe the knife was on the way down. It says in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. And the knife stops. And he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. 
He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God provides when we do what he commands. When we obey. We don't like to obey much, do we? God provides when we do what he commands. And when God commands us to do something, there's a reason for why he commands us to do it. There's a rationale. There's, there's something to accomplish. He wants to demonstrate his glory, perhaps. He wants to do something for someone. He wants to change someone's mindset about him. He wants to deepen our trust in him. Any number of reasons. And so he says things like, Scott, move here. He says, Bill, take that job. He says, uh, Alvin, introduce yourself to that person. He says, Susan, pray for that friend. He says, Sharon, reach out to that family. He says to this person, uh, forgive them. They don't deserve it. They haven't asked to be forgiven. They may never admit to their wrongdoing against you, but for your own good, you forgive them. This is what scripture calls you to do. He says to someone else, go and make things right with that person and make restitution. All through the scriptures and by his spirit, God is constantly calling us to obey. He tells us how to live. Having said all that, there's times that I've experienced, there's been plenty of them, and in fact, going through one of them right now in one element of my life, where I don't have a clue what God is up to. But I know he's commanded something. And so we obey. And I know he has a reason. I know that he knows everything. I know he's eternal. He knows the end from the beginning. And I know he has a rationale. I don't get it. I don't have a clue. But we obey. And when Abraham obeys, God provides. And as I said earlier, the two are absolutely directly linked. Do not expect God to provide when he doesn't obey. When we don't obey, rather. He, always, he, never, he doesn't have to obey, he's in charge. I better get that one right. So don't expect God to provide when we don't obey. And I often come across people who are just like shocked that God hasn't provided, but they don't want to obey. And they might be talking to him about this, and he's saying to them, but in this area over here, you have not obeyed. So two other practices we see in here. Number two is marking. I'll call it marking. And we see it in verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God's name that we're looking at today, well-known name, Jehovah Jireh. As I said, we sang a bunch of stuff about it earlier. The God who provides. The God who supplies. And when God provides, people that are friends of God will create markers of his provision to celebrate 
what he's done, to praise him for what he's done. And we often see this happening in scripture. We see it with Abraham, we see it with Noah, we see it with Jacob. Uh, I could run you right through the scriptures many times. I think of some of the times that we've done this in this church. There's gonna be a picture on the back screen of the plaque at the front door of the church when this building was dedicated to the glory of God in 1978. This is a plaque, this is a marker, this is a praise sign for the things that God has done. And then the second picture is picture of the church buildings that are in the hallway down the hall there where God has taken this church on a journey in three different locations over a long period of time throughout this city. And through some incredibly difficult times, if you know the history of this church where God was faithful and the people of God We're faithful. You can use the QR code to see the bulletin on the the tables at the back. And in the bottom of the bulletin, we have, there's a huge, I think it's 16 or 17 crosses running across the bottom of the bulletin that are significant markers of the people that have come to faith through the ministry of the church this year. Think about the moments in your life where God has provided How do you provide markers to celebrate those things? It's a great thing to do. So one of the ways is if you're a writer, you can journal about it. You can write the story of God's provision so you never forget it or forget the important details surrounding it. Or if you're more of a talker, you can tell the story and you share the story often of God at work and God's provision and you make it become part of the shared history of your family. And this is in particular still in the Middle East, the oral tradition of telling the stories of the faithfulness of God over and over again so it becomes part of the shared history of the family. Or you can share a testimony at your small group of God's provision. Or if you're part of an if table or one of our, uh, we have a number of men's Zoom prayer groups. And if you're not in one of those three things, you should be in one of those things. Great place to share a story of God's faithfulness. Just 10 days ago or so in my men's Zoom group that I'm part of, prayer group, I was able to share a, a brief story about the incredible provision of God in my family's life. We mark places. Maybe you're more of a builder. Why don't you build something as an act of worship? towards God. Take pictures of what you built and frame it and hang it on the wall. Um, When I was in Israel, the first time I was in Israel, on the edge of Jerusalem, which is on the edge of Bethlehem, I was maybe 400 meters away from Bethlehem, um, I picked up this rock and I engraved it with something. And just looking at this rock brings back incredible memories for me of God's provision, of God's blessing, and a lot of other things I could talk to you about. It's a marker for me. It sits on my desk about right there, so I see it every day. And it reminds me of things that God did and who God is. Markers in our life, special moments where God has provided, where we celebrate what God has done, where we praise him for what he's done. One last, one last practice. 
And it's so cool how God closes this story out. Let me begin reading in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, here comes another covenant from God. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now kind of a weird little section at the end of the narrative, but it's significant too. Sometime later, Abraham was told Milcah is also a mother. She has born, you so, born sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Camuel, the father of Aram, Kased, Hazo, Philda, Jidloth, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Ramal, also had sons, Tabal, Gaham, Tahash, and Makal. I was thinking, you know, I was wondering if anybody's pregnant here because I've got some great naming suggestions for you. In verses 15 to 19, God repeats and amplifies all the details of the covenant that he made with Abraham many years before in chapter 12. Then he reiterates the covenant in chapter 15, and now in chapter 22, as I said, he reiterates the covenant and he amplifies it a little bit and says, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And part of the reason this blessing is coming to the earth is because of what you just did, Abraham. You obeyed. Your obedience is part of it. Obedience is a powerful thing. So right at the end, as I said, of this narrative, and in fact, just before another narrative begins, there's this seemingly weird little section but very important with all these names in verses 20 to 24, because right in the middle of those five verses, there's a phrase or a sentence, I guess it is, that says, Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. And there's a reason this is mentioned, historical reference of what's going on, so we know this stuff actually happened. This is not some fairy tale, this is history. We know that hundreds of kilometers away from where Abraham is, God is preparing a woman named Rebekah to become the wife of Abraham's son. And he's getting Rebekah ready to become one of the mothers through whom the covenant that God has promised will take place. And if you read chapter 24, you'll see later that God directs this, and Abraham, his son, needs a wife. And so, as they did in the tradition then, he sends out a servant to help with this. And 
arrange this marriage, and Isaac and Rebekah will meet and marriage and marry. The third practice is anticipation. The spot where Abraham traveled to with Isaac is a special place. When God provides you with something, you can anticipate there is something down the road for you. Get ready for what's coming. Because of obedience now, he's preparing you for something beautiful later. Obedience now, provision, something beautiful later. Mount Moriah is located in Jerusalem. I've been to these places. It's the spot where David bought a threshing floor to build an altar. It's the spot where Solomon built a spectacular temple as a place of worship to God. The place where Jesus would sacrifice his life. The place where Jesus would walk carrying the wood for the sacrifice. His sacrifice. The spot where the father would supply the lamb for the sacrifice. His only son, only this time, they went through with the sacrifice. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Obedience leads to provision which leads to God preparing us for something that's coming, anticipation. And because he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, he is the one who supplies, he is the one who provides. So let me just ask you, what have you pulled from this story? I'm going to invite you to be prayerfully considering this. Is God asking you to give up something or someone you love? Is it about trusting? Is it about obeying? Is it about marking in order to celebrate God's provision? Is it about anticipation? I'm going to invite the team to to come now. Where is God speaking to you? I'm going to invite you each day this week to consider prayerfully and invite the Spirit of God to point out the one or maybe the two of those four things I mentioned that need to be part of your growth agenda. Jehovah Jireh, your provider.